thinking some of you saw me, you're like, you were going to report the old guy hanging out tonight to security? I'm speaking. Ha! Joke's on you. Uh, so, um, man, I would kill that Barbie and bros party, I promise you, but I can't make it for that. But that would be great. Um, good to see you tonight. hope you have a Bible. I got some things I'm going to write on here, I hope, at some point. Oh, good. I do have the eraser. Excellent. Am I on here? Good. All right. I uh, hope you got your Bible. You got your Bible? Hold up your Bible. A lot of you. Fantastic. I'm preaching Sunday, and I feel like when I say that on Sundays, a lot of people look at me like, do I really need a Bible? And they do need a Bible. So um, good job, Saul Company. Great job. Uh, turn with me. And Joe's right. He, he's, he, he talked to me about foundation, and that's the, that's the topic you're addressing, foundations in life. And we're better to go then to the Word of God as a foundation, and I want to talk to you about that tonight. So 2 Timothy, all right, 2 Timothy, go ahead and turn there. It's in the back of the Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to read into chapter 4, and then we're going to talk about it. 2 Timothy 3, 16 into chapter 4. 3, 16, are you there? Good. Two of you. Uh all Scripture, this is 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God, woman of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. I solemnly charge you before God and Jesus Christ, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of His appearing and His kingdom, to preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. One translation says they have itching ears. It's not psoriasis. Uh, four, they will turn from hearing of the truth and will turn aside to myths. But as for you, exercise self-control in everything, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Last three words of that, of that text, fulfill your ministry. That's what I want to talk to you about tonight. Front row, you're on a spit zone. I'm sorry. Uh, foundations to fulfill your ministry. That's what I'm going to talk to you about tonight. Um, let's talk about 2 Timothy. What do we know about this book? Well, uh, one, comment, one commentary says this. Several people had abandoned Paul while he's in prison. So the writer of this book, a guy named Paul, he's writing this book and he's in prison. He's been abandoned. Several, several other people that he knows are on there, are on assignment for the gospel. So he's alone. Paul's memories of Timothy and his sincerity and devotion are especially touching. So he's in prison. Who would you want with you? I don't know. Your mom? I don't know. Paul would have loved to have Timothy there because he was, Timothy was his protege, his son in the faith. And he's like, I remember this kid. He's awesome. I love him. And so he remembers his son in the faith, Timothy. He remembers him fondly. It's emotional for him. You understand? And uh, he thinks that he's going to die soon. Spoiler alert, he is. So he writes this final message to Timothy. And he urges Timothy to stand firm. And he asks him, he asks him to come for one final visit before he's executed, Paul does. And though his death is near, I'm reading from this commentary now, he doesn't know when it will come, but Paul asks Timothy to bring his books and his parchments so that he can keep studying and writing until the end, because it's Paul. So it's very personal, this, this letter we're in. It's a final letter to a close friend and a co-worker. Imagine writing something like that. And Paul encourages Timothy to continue with faithfulness, offers his own life as an example to Timothy to follow it. 
And what he calls on Timothy to do, he's already done it himself. And he ends with the section we read, fulfill your ministry. Check out this guy, Timothy. Uh, we'll do that in a minute. Never mind. I want to read, read a little bit about his life. But at the end of verse 5, he says, Timothy, I want you to fulfill your ministry. But Tim- Timothy has to have a foundation to do that. And so do you. So do I. What is the ministry God's called you to? How are you going to fulfill it? What's the foundation? Um, you got to have a foundation to fulfill your ministry. How many of you, like, you hate your job right now, right? Joe's hands. Joe? I'm not kidding. It's not his hands. Not up. But how many of you hate your job right now? Like, you know, you're like, man, I, like, I, sometimes I grab coffee with people like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing such and such, but I can't wait to get out of there. Or this is my job right now, but I'm looking for something else. Or, hey, Friday, you know anybody who's hiring? Can I work at Keystone? You can't work at Keystone. But you're wondering, like, you hate your job, right? And you want, you want a different job. If I ask you what kind of job you want, there's, there's going to be things you're going to say to fulfill that job. My first job was Pizza Hut. I hated jo- that job. A lot of pizza, which was great, but very greasy, and uh, I didn't make very much money, all right? And I couldn't, anybody work at Pizza Hut? Oh, good, I don't want you to feel bad. I, but I didn't like it. I couldn't, I knew, like, I'm not going out 30 years from now at Pizza Hut. Like, I knew that wasn't the ending point, you know? There were things about a job that would have fulfilled me, right? And what is that for you? You're looking for that in your job. The foundation of the fulfillment of your perfect job would be remote, start at 10 a.m. All right, well, that's, you're not going to get that job. But I don't know what it is for you. But all of us have, like in a job, we look at it and we say, if I had this part of it, if I was remote, if I like my coworkers, if I make enough money, whatever it may be. Students, listen to me. In the same way, the Christian life, it's a fulfillment of the calling that God's given us, if we know him. What's the foundation of that? And obviously, it's God's word, and we're going to get to that. But that's what I want to talk to you about tonight, foundations to fulfill. And I'm going to write some things on the board. Uh, so four things to think about from this text, all right? Here's the first one. When it comes to our foundation, that's a one, uh, it starts with our history, all right? That's the first word I want you to think about. It starts with your history. Let me read Timothy's history to you, okay? Everybody has a history. Timothy had a, hist- had a history. Um, jump back to verse, chapter 3, verse 14. You can write the word history as you're doing this. As for you, it's Paul writing to Timothy, his son in the faith, says, as for you, con- check out his history here. As for you, continue what you've learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you, and you know that from your infancy, since you were a baby, uh, you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Timothy, good upbringing or bad upbringing? Louder? Good. I'm not going to kick you out if you're wrong. Good grief, it's church. But good. He had a good upbringing. This guy, Timothy, had a go- good upbringing. His history was great. Uh, I don't know what your history's like, but it's where I want to start tonight when it comes to this issue of the foundation to fulfill the legacy, or to fulfill the calling, to fulfill the ministry that God has for you. It's a history. I thought about it like this, students, listen. All of us, all of us in here, me included, are developing a legacy, dismantling a legacy, or we're somewhere in between. Well, I wonder what your legacy's like. Like if I was to hang out with you at Smoky Row, because that's where a lot of you hang out, jeez. If we were to go to Smoky Row and you were to buy for me, because I always buy for you and I'm sick of it, all right? No, I'm kidding. I would buy for you. But if I were to say, what's your, what's your legacy? Are, are, you, are you developing a great legacy that you already have, or are you dismantling a legacy in your life? Some of you would say, building, man. Mine has been a legacy of privilege. Great mom and dad, 
This is Matt Fry talking. That's my legacy. By the grace of God, listen to me. I had great parents. My daddy pastors here. Love my dad. My mom's a wonderful woman. I get along great with my brother, brothers and sisters. It's awesome. We got problems. I mean, look at me for Pete's sake. We got problems. But I, I'm blessed. I'm privileged to have a good legacy. Um, so I'm, you know what? I'm developing that legacy. I'm trying to carry it on. I'm trying to honor my parents because they were good people. Man, I understand. Listen to me. Some of you, if we had that conversation with Smokey Road, you're like, you know what I'm doing, Fry? Dismantling a legacy. Maybe your parents were rough. Maybe you're still going through stuff with mom and dad. Maybe you're still at home, and it's not easy at home. Maybe you're at war with your siblings. I don't know. That's tender, tender. And your legacy, your history is not something that's a privilege. It's something that's a responsibility you carry right now. Like, I got to get past that. Some of you are like, I'm in counseling for that. Legacy's a big deal. This kid, Timothy, man, he had a great legacy. He had a great history. We're all developing it, dismantling it, or we're somewhere in between. It's a privilege and it's an opportunity. It's where we start with the foundation to fulfill the ministry that God's called us to. What are we going to do with our past? Can I, can I tell you some things to think about? Here's some questions to ask yourself about your legacy, your history, okay? as you work through it. This isn't counseling for Pete's sake, but some questions to ask yourself. What are, in your legacy, what are you thankful for? Because I bet there's something you're thankful for. That's one question to ask. Like if you're here and you're like, yeah, you know what, Matt, I'm, I'm trying to make sense of my past and my history, and I'm trying, to, I'm, try, I'm trying to dismantle it so I can do what I need to do for God. Or you're like, man, I have the responsibility and the privilege of a great past, and I'm trying to develop that and become the man of God, the woman of God I should be, thanks to my mom and dad. Some questions to ask, what are you thankful for? Even if you have a bad, even if you have a bad history, there's things to be thankful for, right? Uh, what am I struggling with? And again, some of you, seriously, there's counseling going on for you through this. There's just been a lot of, a lot of junk in the past. And so you're struggling. What are you struggling with? That's something to ask God about and to work through it. Who should I talk and listen to? That's the next question to ask. When it comes to your past, who should you talk and listen to? To, to fulfill the foundation of the ministry God's called you to. To fulfill that, man, you got to deal with your past. Well, who should I talk to? Who should I listen to? And what are my goals? How am I going to move? How am I going to be different as an adult someday? I mean, you're adults now, young adults. But how, how am I going to be different in my life as an adult than I was in a home that where people didn't know and follow Jesus? And the things I had to dismantle from my past, how am I going to dismantle them and rebuild my life in a way that honors God? This kid, Timothy... Bless him, man. He had a great mom. His grandmother read the Bible to him when he was a baby. His mom read the Bible to him. He knew John 3, 16. When he was, it was awesome. He had a great past. Some of us don't have that, but all of us have a past. And all of us here, we're developing that. We're dismantling that. It comes down to the tools. It comes down to the right tools, right? What, what, do you still call people a tool? That's not what I mean. I don't know if they do that. Do kids do that anymore? No. We used to call people tools, which was bad, right? That's a bad thing. You don't want to be called a tool. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about tool tools. How many of you guys are tool guys? Women, too. Maybe you're a woman and you're a tool person. I don't know, but I don't want to discriminate. One person has, any of you guys have tools? Right. What? Listen, my dad didn't have a lot of tools growing up. He had like a screwdriver and a pair of pliers and a hammer. And like when the screwdriver didn't work and the pliers didn't work, the hammer, right? And some of you are like, I got three tools. That's it. Like, I, do you know the difference between like a flathead screwdriver, Phillips head? Everybody know that? Right, good, four of you, excellent, don't work on anything I own, right, but maybe you have a lot of tools, maybe you have no tools, but here's what I've noticed, I'm, I'm older, and uh, 
over the course of my life, I've gathered more tools. So like when I first, first kind of set up my house and stuff, I had like those three tools. Now i got a bunch of tools. A lot of them I don't want to do with. My father-in-law gave them to me. He's like, you need these because you're an idiot. And he, he gave me the tools, and now I have all these tools. Listen to me. When it, comes, when it comes to fulfilling your ministry and the foundation of that, beginning with, am I developing my past? Am I dismantling my history? What kind of tools do you have? Because some of your, your parents, well, here's the tools they gave you spiritually. You got, you got nothing. Maybe you're saved and you're the only Christian walking around your home. It's like, I got a hammer. <laughs> All I got is this tool. And, and, and the question is, what, what tools are you looking for? Are you going to the right people? Say, you know what tools you need? You need these tools to help you grow. See what I mean? The foundation to fulfill the calling that you have to do ministry for God, that foundation begins with dealing with your legacy, dealing with your past, dealing with your history. And it comes down to what are the tools you are given? Listen, I'm sympathetic to some of you. You didn't grow up in a Christian home. You're like, Fry, I just found 2 Timothy in the Bible. That's all right. Because <laughs> you're like, I, I'm just learning this stuff. That's okay. You're in a place where the tools you have are going to be added to by the people of God. So, man, students, listen, that's where it begins. It begins by this foundation to fulfill our ministry begins by understanding our history, developing that legacy, dismantling that legacy. It moves to, it moves to a standard. This is a weird eraser, man. It moves to a standard, okay? That's the second thing, a standard. What do you think the standard is? The Bible is the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16, look what it says. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, for training in righteousness. The standard to fulfill ministry is the Word of God. That is one of the most important verses in the Bible. Three things about the standard of God's Word. Listen to me. When it comes to the standard of the Bible, you have to make, that's short for theological, you have to make theological commitments to the Bible. Okay? You know what that's called? It's called orthodoxy. You're like, I know a big word. I'm going to impress my boyfriend. Okay. Orthodoxy. Uh, the standard of, God word, of God's word, chapter 316, means theological commitments. What do you believe? Do you believe the right things about the Bible? Okay. So you have to make theological commitments. What am I going to believe? Paul says, the Bible is God-breathed. Listen, this is out of commentary again. I'm not too smart to make this up. All Scripture would refer, when it says all Scripture is given by inspiration, all Scripture would refer first to the Old Testament, by, but by implication also to at least some New Testament writings, by which at this time would already be considered a Scripture. So, so Paul is saying here, listen, what's coming together as God's Word is inspired by God. It's breathed out by God. That's a unique term. Do you see that he said that in 16? He said, it's breathed by God. It's a unique term. It stresses divine origin and the authority of Scripture. He doesn't point to the human authors of Scripture as inspired, but he says the writings themselves are the words spoken by God. They are breathed out by God. They are authoritative. That is all of Scripture. Divine origin of Scripture is the reasons for its power to convert, its usefulness and training. Scripture comes from God himself. It's all profitable in a range of ways that ultimately leads to righteousness. So, the standard to fulfill the ministry that God has called us to is the Word of God. We make theological commitments to it. Um, I'm going to go into this. Three things you need to know about the Bible. This is, this is 
This is Theology 101, okay? You ready? It is inspired. Three I words. I really don't have time for this, but you're lucky. I'm doing it. It's inspired. It's inerrant. I think that only should have one N. Sorry. It's inerrant. And it's, stay with me, it's infallible. That's spelled right. You make a theological commitment to the standard of, God wor- of God's word. Okay? The Bible is inspired. In other words, God is the author. It is breathed out by God. That's what it means that the Bible is inspired. Who wrote the Bible? God did. It was written by men. They weren't robots. God didn't enter them later like writing in a trance. No. God used personality, used a writing style. They're all different. It's inspired. God, God wrote it. He's the author. It's inerrant. It is without error. It is, out, it is without error. When it rightly interpreted, the original manuscripts, based on the original manuscripts of the Bible, we believe that God's word is inerrant, without error. It is infallible, which means it is incapable of error. Okay? You're like, those are some big claims. I know. Um, and you say, that sounds kind of circular, Matt. Like you're saying the Bible proves that the Bible's true. It's not circular. It makes some assumptions, but every worldview makes some assumptions. If you want to fight about that after, come up here. I'll fight you, all right? I don't have time to fight you now. But here's what we believe about the Bible. As Christians, as people at Keystone Church, this is what we believe about the Bible. And I'm telling you, this is God's Word. And God's Word is the standard of our life. And if you want to know, if you want to rest in a foundation to understand what it means to fulfill the calling and ministry in your life, you better start with the Word of God. That's it. You make theological commitments to it. It's inspired, it's inerrant, it's infallible. All of that for free. I will not charge you, all right? Um, make theological commitments. I got a roll. You make, but you also make practical commitments. I'm make, can't really read that. Uh, you make practical commitments. This is called orthopraxy. Word praxy, what does it mean? Everyone said, I have no idea. It means practice over theory. So right belief, theological commitments to the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God leads to right actions. Orthodoxy leads to orthopraxy. It's important, you guys, because God's word is a standard. It's a standard for what we believe. Standard for what we believe. We make practical commitments. We make theological commitments. We make practical Commitments. Everybody got that? I'm going to try to erase this well. Um, I like this. Look what the verse says. Jump down in the text to chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is profitable for, it's profitable to teach, to rebuke. You see that? What's the next word? Profitable to? Oh, one of you is awake. Excellent. To correct. What's the last one? To train. Fantastic. To train. One one writer said this. I like this. The standard of God's word. Practically. Orthopraxy that flows out of orthodoxy. It has power to teach us what is right. It has power to teach us what is not right. It has power to teach us how to Get right. 
and has the power to teach us how to stay right. All right? Isn't that good? You're like, did you make that up? No, I stole it from somebody. I don't even know who. But it's really good, isn't it? You read the Bible like that? Or this morning, did you even read the Bible? Or was it like, I'm too tired? Man, listen to me. It's this is standard of our lives. And some of us, Paul says, Timothy, you know, you had a great upbringing, and you're, you're, you're developing from your past. But the standard of your life has to be the Word of God. Theological commitments, practical commitments to the Word of God that tell you what's right, what's wrong, how to get right, how to stay right. Is that how you read the Bible? You know what I'm discovering more and more? A lot of us Christians, we have no, we have no better answers in the world. People come to us, they're like, yeah, we, we can't handle worry. A lot of Christians are like, yeah, I can't handle worry either. We don't read the Bible for results. Man, God's Word is quick, it's powerful, it says. Do we, do we really believe that? Do we really believe when we look at someone like, hey, rightly applied, I can take God's Word and I can help you through your problem. I mean, I look at the world around us, we, we got as many problems as the world has. No wonder, no wonder people don't like the church, right? It's like, you got nothing. When really we have everything. We have a standard of God's Word. But I feel like sometimes we don't believe that. I feel like that sometimes. I don't read the Bible for results. The results that it has for me is as a standard. That's convicting to me. I want to do better. All right, so it's a standard. So we read it with theological commitments, orthodoxy, with practical commitments, ortho. Praxy, this side of the room is much smarter. With, I'm sorry, you haven't said anything over here. Impress me. Uh, lastly, with relational commitments, and I don't have an, o, an ortho word for that. Uh, theological commitments, practical commitments, and relational commitments. Um, who is it that's going to help me know God's word? How many of you in a CG in SALT? Fantastic. You know what that group is? It's a group that helps you understand God's word, the standard of his word. It's a relational commitment you've made to know God's word and to apply it to your life and to have other people help you apply it to their life. All right, so we talked about history, standard. With that, a responsibility, the text tells us we have a responsibility then. I got to blow through this stuff. I only got a couple minutes, all right? Responsibility is the third thing. Paul says, you have a responsibility. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. I, I solemnly charge you before God. Sound serious? Sounds serious. Solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead. And beca because of his appearing in his kingdom, verse 2, first word is what? Preach the word. Preach the word, be ready in season, out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and teaching. You have a responsibility. Let me give you three P words when it comes to your responsibility. Here they are. You have the responsibility of power. You have the responsibility of, what's my second one? I forgot. You have the responsibility of persistence. And you have the responsibility of precision with the Word of God. So if God's Word is your standard, three Ps. You're powerful with it. You are persistent with it. And you are precise with it. Some of you, God's going to call you to preach powerfully in, in different contexts. And we have, we have ways we think about that from God's word. But listen, some of you, God is calling you to a prophetic voice in your school, at your job, in your family. And he's saying, preach. He's saying, stand up and say something. Be prophetic with your voice. That's power. 
Paul says, Timothy, preach the word. Some of you are going to need to be persistent. Persistent. In season, out of season, he says. Uh, I looked that up. What does he mean by in season, out of season? At one commentator said this. It means at all times. When it's easy and productive and when it's not. Uh, I've been fishing with some of the guys in this room. If they call me up and say, December 4th, it's in Iowa. What's the temperature? What do you think? One. <laughs> you want to go fishing? Guess what my answer is? Absolutely. Is it miserable? Yes. But it's always time to go fishing. You call me in May. It's like, hey, Fry, you want to go fishing? Yes. What's the temperature? Oh, man, it's probably going to be in the 50s, 60s, sunny. Excellent. But it's still time. To, it's always time to go fishing. You understand? Paul says, listen, be persistent with the word of God. That's your responsibility. In season, out of season. In season, out of season. It doesn't matter. We're persistent with the responsibility we have. We're precise. I got a knee problem. You can't tell my knee's swollen. It's my age. It hurts. I've been to the doctor several times. The first time, he did not say, well, a lot of times we just cut the leg off, right? Like, Whoa, what kind of nutcase are you, right? That's not an option. You know why? Because he's a doctor, and he's precise, and he has never done that, or she has never done that. They always take a look at it, do x-rays, MRIs, test it, put things on it, give me exercises. They are patient. Look what Paul says. He says, sometimes with the word of God, he says you have to be, you have to be precise, correct, or rebuke, or encourage. Some of you, you're really good at rebuking people. But say it the Lord. Like, wow. If you do that all the time, you're going to scare everybody. Sometimes you got to do that. But Paul says, listen, our responsibility is to correct and rebuke and encourage with great patience and teaching. So, power, persistence, be powerful, be persistent, be precise with the Word of God. That's our responsibility at all times, in all seasons. Can I ask you this? What season is it? What season is it for you when it comes to being powerful or, or persistent or precise with the Word of God? Is it a good season for you? Are you a good witness in your community, in your school? with your friends, with your family? Or is it a hard season? Is it like, man, the gospel's dry in my life and it hasn't been shared very much? I wonder where you're at with that. Constant in season, out of season. Last thing's a challenge. I'm going to do it. Uh, challenge. It, there's going to be a challenge to all this. The foundation of fulfilling your ministry comes with a huge challenge. Four, this is where people have itching ears. Uh, verse four. Three, for the time will come, man, you're preaching powerfully, you're persistent, precise with the word of God. Paul says it doesn't matter. There's a time coming when people won't tolerate sound doctrine. That's always been true. It's true now. But according to their own desires, they will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. But as for you, exercise self-control in everything, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. That idea of itching ears means they will have an insatiable curiosity to hear new things. Do we live in a world like that? Man, do we live in a world like that. Everybody has an insatiable curiosity to hear new things. Um, look at the text with me if you have your Bible open. I, re I really want you to see this because I'd like some of you to get a tattoo with this, all right? Uh, verse 5. Uh, Verse 4, look, he's talking about the challenge. They, these people with the itching ears, like, oh, tell me what I want to hear. Tell me more. Only tell me what I want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. First four words of verse 5 are what? But, different translation than me. You're wrong, but the, you're right. Uh, 
But my translation says this, but as for you. See that? But as for you. Put that on your bicep, baby. But as for you. Listen to me, students. Be a but as for you person. The Apostle Paul says, you're going to face a challenge, and here's the challenge. People have itching ears, and what that means is all they want to hear is stuff they want to hear. They don't want to hear truth. But in the, face that, in the face of that, Paul says, but as for you. Remember back Joshua uh, 24, 15. Joshua says this. He says, choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me. Remember that verse? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua's like, you do what you want. If you're with me and my family, we're following God. Uh, Daniel 1, 7. Remember Daniel? He goes into exile. King Nebuchadnezzar wants to feed him all the best food. He's not supposed to eat that food. You know what it says? Daniel said, basically, but as for me. I purposed in my heart not to eat that food. Man, be a but as for me person. In the face of the challenge, in the face of the challenge that's up against you, when it comes to laying that foundation, that foundation to fulfill your ministry, the challenge, be a but as for me person. Students, let me ask you, let me wrap it up. Who's your audience and, and what are you telling them? Who, who's the cha- who are the people in your life that have the itching ears and all they want to hear is, is what they want to hear? They don't want to hear truth. Maybe that's you. Into that challenge, Paul says to Timothy, don't be that person. Be a but as for me person. I'm going to do it God's way. I'm going to face that challenge with the responsibility I have with the power, the persistence, the precision of the gospel in the word of God, which is my standard. Review and we're done. History. Are you developing a legacy or dismantling a legacy or somewhere in between? Where are you at with that? That's the first question we ask you. When it comes to the foundation to fulfill your ministry, what are you doing with your legacy? Dismantling it? Developing it somewhere in between? What tools do you have? What tools do you need to work through that? What's your standard? It needs to be God's word theologically, practically, and relationally. How does your orthodoxy change your orthopraxy? I care about what you believe. I do, students, but I care a lot more about what you do with what you believe. Responsibility, gospel proclamation at all times, whether it's easy and productive and when it's not. What season is it for you? What do you need to be doing? The challenge you face, there is in this culture today an insatiable curiosity to just hear new things. Well, who's your audience? And what are you telling them? Students, God's word is the foundation, the foundation of fulfilling your ministry. May we do that in his power. I'm going to pray for us here. We're going to sing again. This is built around a relationship with Jesus. We're here talking about foundations. Some of you, though, you need to start with the first part of that word, F-O-U-N-D, found. Because here's a fact. Some of you, you're lost. You're coming here because a friend bought you, brought you, or I don't know why you're here, but it's not about laying a foundation for you. It's about being found in Jesus Christ. I don't want to walk out of this place tonight without saying to you, listen, this all starts with an understanding about what God says about his son Jesus in the Bible, which is this, he died on that cross for our sins. So before you can lay a foundation, God needs to build a foundation in your life. You need to be found because the Bible says without Jesus, we are lost. We're not saved. We're unsaved. And if you don't don't know Jesus, that's where you're at. 